This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas for over 25 years. I started podcasting a couple of years ago, a little more than a couple of years, because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be in therapy or interested in psychological stuff, or to those of you who are new to mental health and may have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, or maybe you're having some relationship issues, problems with listening or communication, whatever. And there's a third group I also wanted to try to reach. Those of you who may never have even thought about talking with a psychologist or other kind of clinician, but are just curious enough to know what talking with a therapist might be like. Now, this isn't therapy, but it's going to show you how someone practicing therapy might actually think and talk. I'm all about reducing the stigma around treatment for mental health, and I'm so delighted when I get an email from one of you that says that listening to this podcast gave you the impetus or the courage to go on and reach out to a therapist. I could not be happier about that. And by the way, good luck to you with that. Today, we're going to be talking about making choices, decision-making, and making choices you won't regret, or at least it's not as likely. Now, that may be kind of a tall order, but I'm going to try it on for size. I know I've made choices I've terribly regretted, so how do we evaluate our choices? And is there a way to try and avoid making choices that bring more pain and more suffering into our lives? There's much we can't control, but I have come up with a three-step model of decision-making that might be helpful to you, at least I hope so, and that's what we're talking about today on self-work. Our listener email, which is a regular feature of self-work, is from a mom whose son has become quite smitten with a young girl, and she's struggling, the mom's struggling, with how to maintain some semblance of order and discipline for him, as he's quite rebellious when it comes to spending his time with his first love. I remember that my mom got so mad at me when I had mononucleosis because my boyfriend at the time came in, and of course, we couldn't kiss, right? (laughs) So he brought saran wrap with him, and we kissed through saran wrap, and my mother walked in on us. Oh, my goodness. I think it had more to do with the fact that he was sitting on my bed that made her so mad, but the kiss through saran wrap didn't help either. First love. Wow. So let's settle in and get talking about bad decisions Let's start off today by me admitting that I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, and I wish someone could have made me slow down that decision-making process. Come to think of it, they did. In fact, several people, but I wouldn't listen. There was one time, however, that I might have listened. I was talking to my then-therapist about getting married the first time, and I was revealing to her that I had doubt about it. I really like this therapist, and in many ways still do think of our work together as beneficial to me but I'll never forget what she said. It was something like, well, I'd suggest putting those doubts in a box and storing them in a closet in your mind somewhere. Then you and I can get them out after you're married, and we'll talk more about it. Ugh, 
That was terrible advice. I don't know if my time was up or since she'd seen me and my fiancé together, her opinion was biased. But my gosh, I was marrying someone 20 years my senior who had a bunch of his own grown children. I was still very immature in many ways, still financially dependent on my parents for practical expenses like car insurance. I was nowhere near being ready for any kind of marriage. Oh, and I forgot, let's just say he indicated some doubt to me as well. But I was Ms. Optimistic, and as I've talked about before, I'd fallen in love with the story I told myself about how this was going to be awesome. I did love him. That wasn't it. But the pragmatics of things were against us from the very start. And let's face it, I didn't know yet what true mature love looked like. It wasn't the first bad decision I'd made, but it was certainly one that had tremendous life-altering impact on my life, on his and on the lives of the people who loved me. I regret all of that. So, years later, when I became a therapist, I decided I wasn't going to shy away from an opportunity to try to guide my own patients in making the best decisions they could. I already tried to help them think about what they were avoiding feeling or thinking about that might get in their way, or what they were obsessing about that was unrealistic, or other basic things that I heard, like someone who's procrastinating a decision and trying to help them figure out why. A good therapist looks for ways to speak up without telling their clients what to do or how to do it. That's not the job of a therapist. But I certainly wasn't going to give the advice I'd been given. No putting things up in closets for the people who sought my help. Let's talk about, for just a minute, how do you evaluate your decisions? Let's think about it. If I ask you whether or not a decision you've made in the past was a good choice, most people will say yes or no, dependent on how they see it now. Was it a helpful choice or not a helpful choice? Did it end being destructive or constructive? Most of us use time to evaluate the goodness or the badness of a certain choice. Well... That's not even possible. When you need to make a choice today, that's obvious. You won't know what you know five years from now, ten years from now, even twenty years from now. So I began thinking about and devising a decision-making model that I hoped could help. Someone told me this week that I should talk about that model, so I'm following their advice. There are three basic steps. Two of them are highly familiar to all of us, but maybe I have a few things to say about it that would be helpful. The third might be new to you, or you may have been using it yourself for quite some time. But let's talk about these three basic steps in making the best decisions you can make without the gift of time. First step, make a list of the pros of the different choices you're considering. Everyone knows this one. What are you going to enjoy about a certain decision or choice? If you choose to take a new job, what will the benefits be to you that you can imagine? There may be others that you can't imagine or foresee right now, but you can take the time to list the ones you can. And it's important to list the pros or benefits of each choice you're considering. If you don't take the new job, what are the pros? Now, these benefits might be financial, spiritual, relational, pragmatic, silly, serious, medical, or mental, whatever, for either side of the choice. Or if there are three or more options, list the predicted things you can see yourself enjoying. You might be wrong, of course, but that's why you're giving this so much thought. Second step, make a list 
of the cons or potential losses you might experience given a certain decision or choice. This, again, not rocket science, and you've probably done this in your lifetime. I want to stress that taking the time to write things down with any of these steps is so important. And truly, think through every scenario you can. You can ask your friends or family to help, realizing, however, that they may have their own agenda on what choice you do make. It's so hard to truly be impartial when it's your son or daughter, your mom or dad, your best friend, or certainly your partner. So you can recognize that and ask them to at least try to be truthful with you about their bias. Don't let it be the elephant in the room that no one talks about. And please learn from my first wedding story. Don't allow yourself to avoid thinking about a potential loss simply because you don't want to think about that. That didn't work very well for me, nor did it work very well for someone like Scarlett O'Hara. Now, some of you younger listeners may have to Google that. Let's just say one of her famous lines in Gone with the Wind that generally led to more chaos in her life was, I'll think about that tomorrow. (laughs) Had to stick a little Southern accent in there. So take the time to write this second step out for choices that might seem more likely or even better choices to you, as well as less appealing ones. You want to be as thorough in this list as possible, because the third step relies on how in-depth and detailed you've been in this second one. You might want to stop and try this now. Try the first step and the second step with some choice you're trying to make. And again, not just thinking about it, because that will tend to cause you to just obsess and go over the same material over and over again. Write it down, okay? Or type it, whatever. Just get it on paper. Third step, and this is the one that comes mostly from me. I've never read it anywhere else, but I'm sure it exists somewhere. Try to imagine and then write down how you will cope with the potential loss or problem that each choice could hold. Let me say that again. Try to imagine and then write down how you will cope with the potential loss or problem that each choice could hold. This isn't pessimism. This is being realistic. You want and need to know that you can recognize in yourself how you would handle or cope with a loss or problem associated with every choice you might make. Again, both the ones that seem more appealing and the ones that you're shying away from. Using the new job example again, what if the benefits are that you're going to make more money, have a less hands-on boss, enjoy more leave, love what you're doing, and it has a great insurance plan? What could possibly be the cons? But remember, in the second step, I asked you to write those cons down. You have to maybe think about it. Maybe when you've had money before or more money, you've had trouble with spending too much. Maybe structure is more important to you than you really want to realize, and you'll actually miss a bit of that hands-on supervision. So you list those potential problems. But in this third step, you write how you'd cope with the problems themselves. If you tend to spend too much, you'd write, I'll get a financial mentor, a friend who's really good with money, or I'll make myself put away a certain percentage of my check every month. That will take self-discipline, but I'll reward myself for doing so. This third step is listing the very important how you'll cope with the problems created. 
What this step is doing is identifying the particular skill set that you have and you can count on in yourself to work with that loss, to manage that con. Then you do that step for all the other choices. You can see this takes some time. But again, we're trying to help you avoid making a choice you regret. Let's say the loss for taking the job was that you become very good friends with a couple of coworkers, and you fear that without the context of the work environment, those friendships won't last, a very common problem. So this third step would lead you to wondering perhaps, well, what could I do about that? I might have to grieve, or we might have to set up a regular time to see each other and talk about that now, plan that now. Knowing how you will cope with whatever loss and then making the plans to do just that, you can imagine yourself coping with that loss, will help you pick the choice whose losses you can most handle. Let me say that again, but this time in the opposite direction. If you can't come up with how you might manage a loss, then maybe it's not the best decision for you. Even though it has its pros and benefits that you can imagine, if you can't think of how you'd handle the loss, it may be just bad timing, but it may not be the greatest choice for you at that very moment. You'll always be enjoying the gifts or the pros of the choice you eventually make. Knowing that you have a plan on handling the potential loss, it makes it much more likely you won't live to regret the choice. Let's go over one more time the three different steps. First, make a list of the pros of the different choices, all the different choices you're considering, the ones that you're attracted to and the ones that you're not. Second step, make a list of the cons or potential losses you might experience given a certain decision or choice. And as I've said before, I think writing those things down or typing them out is very important. And here's this third step. Try to imagine and then write down how you will cope with the potential loss or problem that each choice could create. You're planning. You're predicting. You're imagining. You're working out in your mind how you're going to cope with the loss because you know that you'll be enjoying the benefit. Good luck with those decisions. Our listener email today is from a mom who has a teenager who has fallen in love for the first time, and that teenager is getting pretty darn rebellious about following rules around the house. At the same time, the mom wants to encourage more independence. She also doesn't want to create an environment where she loses all sense of discipline and control. She says, hello, Dr. Margaret. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and enjoy listening to you answer listener questions. I have one that's consuming my life right now. I have a 14, almost 15-year-old son who is in a pretty serious relationship with a girlfriend. Of course, he wants to spend every minute with her, and I need help setting boundaries. She lost her mom a few years ago and lives with her dad and some younger siblings who she takes care of often. Her dad works long hours, and my son wants to go over a lot, even when dad's not there. Explaining the kids will keep them from funny business. He wants to go over every weekend, and then she comes a few times during the week to our house. 
You know, what is too much? What's too little? It's always a fight. I have to add that my own husband and I were 16 ourselves when we had our son, so I'm at a loss as to how to properly set limits and still help him in becoming independent. Please help. I'm always honored when people write me. My son is 24, and I've put a lot of distance between my memories of rearing him as a teenager, although he really was a pretty good kid. I got lucky. But this question was one I wanted to try to answer. And I was honest from the very beginning. Hello, I haven't worked with many teenagers for a while. And I want to tell you there's a psychologist named Barbara Greenberg, Dr. Barbara Greenberg, who writes a column in Psychology Today, which I think is very good. You might want to look her up. She's probably more in tune with that age child than me, and I think she uses really good judgment. I see a lot of college-age kids, but not too many teenagers now. But I'll put in my two cents. It certainly sounds as if your son is in the throes of young love, where every breath you take away from the other is so hard. Maybe you can work with him to, in some ways, earn the right to be trusted. What I mean is that he needs to take care of certain things, chores around the house, making sure his grades stay up, before you'll agree to him going. You don't want to set up a situation where he rebels and leaves without your knowledge. And if her mom is deceased, some of the reason the girlfriend may be coming over is the death of her own mother. And maybe she's also attracted to establishing a relationship with you. You can do what you can to have a good relationship with her. Then maybe she'll also want to respect more of what you think is right or appropriate. I'd also maybe have a talk with your son about what it was like for you to be pregnant at 16, both the positive and the negative. You can tell him that you understand and want to work with him, but he also needs to understand your end of things. That's the more grown-up thing to do. So less arguing and a more cooperative relationship between the two of you is where you're headed. You get some of what you want. He gets some of what he wants. I wonder if his dad is still available to him. I'd hope he could talk things out with him as well. The whole, the kids will keep us from funny business is likely not quite accurate, although it does sound as if she's the mom in her family, and there are lots of little ones around. I'd be quite open with him about condoms. A lot of hormones are stirring probably in both of them. They may have all the good intentions in the world, but slip up. I would start from a stance of saying that you believe that they do have good intentions and not necessarily come from a stance of distrust. So I hope this is helpful. Again, I check out Dr. Greenberg. I want to thank you for listening today. I love the emails you're sending me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I will answer them. You don't know how important each audience member is for me. I get such a kick out of getting on iTunes and seeing that someone's left a review, especially a written review, although those ratings are going up. I truly appreciate it. I got a it's okay rating, which I wish that person had actually written me and told me what they think was just okay about it. I got a quite simple one the other day. Listening to your podcast has made me realize so much about myself. The information that you're sharing with us is so important. Thank you. That was just very much from the heart. So you're very welcome. 
You can leave comments or reviews wherever you listen. However, iTunes is just the most public of websites or podcast sources that so many people use. And the more ratings and reviews I have that are positive, the more likely other people will tune into self-work. So you have my utmost gratitude, not only for being a listener, but for taking the time to do something like that. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me or even getting to know me better. You can go to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you want, you can subscribe there, and you'll actually get a weekly newsletter with a small message from me, usually a couple of paragraphs, and my weekly podcast and weekly blog post. There's also a new way to get in touch with me. I'm running a closed group on Facebook and you can reach that closed group by typing in facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I would love to get to know you there. And I'm doing something kind of fun. I've decided to work with Instagram more. And I'm doing the Instagram story and I'm posting more. I've actually challenged myself to come up with a list of I don't know how many things it'll be, but a list of what I've learned as a therapist, and I'm posting every day about that, or at least that's the goal for myself. We'll see if I can follow through or not. So join me on Instagram. It's Dr. Margaret Rutherford, if you want to join in. Again, thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.